Welcome into episode 34 of the Landscape Photography Show. And you know, in photography, I like to talk about some of the things that drive why you like to take a photo. Maybe drive why you took a black and white photograph over a color photograph. Why you composed a shot in a certain way. And I think our emotions and personalities have a lot to do with that. And it's always nice to have a guest on the show like today with Alistair Ben talking about somebody who gets expressive photography and, and I think that encapsulate that term just encapsulates basically everything that he does with photography how he shoots how he teaches and how he talks about photography too so in this episode you're going to learn a lot about him not only him but how he views photography and I think a lot of you are going to get a lot of value out of this episode because it's going to make you think a little bit more deeply about why you love photography and maybe even about why you relate to photography in a certain way. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into the episode. In this episode, we have Alistair Ben coming to us from Scotland. And before we hopped on to the call, I was actually talking with Alistair about where he lived in Scotland, and it sounds like he has tons of locations close to home that he can go shoot at, which is something that I've always wanted to have in a home, but I've always lived in kind of metropolis areas. So I'm kind of jealous of him for that. But Alistair, I just want to say... Thank you for coming on the show, and uh, I'm excited to hear all your thoughts about photography today. That's great, man. Listen, really welcome. Uh, really great to be here, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. I've been a big fan of the show, and yeah, let's uh, hit me with it. <laughs> so I always like to get started with the very basic question of how you actually got started. I'm sure you've said it a hundred times before, but I've actually never heard your story. Okay. Um, I, like most people, had a camera when I was a kid. So I grew up in Scotland, in the kind of highlands of Scotland. So it was a rural childhood. Uh, so I was surrounded by mountains and lochs and rivers the whole time. And I had two older brothers who were very outdoor and adventurous. So I kind of had a camera when I was a teenager and used to point it at stuff that I found intriguing and interesting uh, without any understanding of what I was doing or any technical skill whatsoever. Um, and then, as normal for most people, life gets in the way and you end up with a career and a job. And it was about the early 2000s. Um, I was living in the Far East. I was living in Malaysia. Uh, and uh, I had a bit of free time and I had a bit of money uh, to, to invest in some equipment. And it was birds that was my passion. I've, I've been an mm. avid bird watcher since I was a really young boy. Uh, and living in the Far East, you're surrounded by beautiful, colorful birds in the rainforests and uh, around the cities. So I invested in some long lenses and a digital SLR and went about the process of trying to work out how to do it because it's difficult. It's, it's actually quite difficult to do it well. Um, and then in about 2004, I was visiting friends in Banff National Park uh, and bought my first landscape lens in a shop in Calgary. And suddenly sort of realized that uh, the landscape was out there and 
I'd had a very experiential relationship with it my whole life, you know, from trekking in the Himalaya or climbing rocks in Scotland or or elsewhere in the world. Um, And photography suddenly became a way to document and uh, almost expand upon those experiences. So it was in the sort of mid 2000s, I guess, and I was living in China by this time and I was spending a lot of time in the Himalaya. Uh, so yeah, I, I started photographing the big mountains really. And, and that was the start of it, I think was, was round about then. Using that experience, like your global experience, how does that benefit you in your vision for your photography? Uh, hmm. I've, I've had conversations like this with people before because I, my, my dad traveled a lot. You know, when I was a kid, he was away from home an awful lot of the time uh, in the Navy. Uh, and I always used to ask him, where's your favorite place in the world? And I was expecting, you know, Hong Kong or Jakarta or, you know, Australia and all of these. And he would always say the Highlands of Scotland. And I always used to say to him that he was joking. And But it's kind of true that, that I have an appreciation for where I live now and the local environment and I, I, I'm loath to say that you 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 have that before you leave, but I think when you do travel an awful lot, you you do have a fresh appreciation for for what's in your doorstep. Um, and I think the, the the other thing with travel is that you kind of appreciate that the the things that you engage with are the same regardless of the environment that you're in. You know, there's. I've mentioned this a lot in in my own uh, shows and videos I do on YouTube and stuff, but there's five things that you engage with, which are luminosity, contrast, color, geometry, and atmosphere. And you can find those just as easily in a local park as you can in the Himalaya. They're just not maybe quite as (laughs) dynamically engaging, but the principles are still the same. So, but yes, I mean, traveling the world is, is a massive privilege uh, for anybody to have. um, And I just wonder how much we've taken that for granted now that we can't do it. Yeah. You mentioned that while we're recording, it's, it's currently still quarantine for most of the world uh, during COVID-19. And how have you been able to stay creative during that? That's been really easy. Um, producing a lot of content for the YouTube channel, I'm writing a new ebook uh, called The Color of Meaning, uh, which is a follow-up to the book I published a couple of years ago called Luminosity and Contrast. So I've been very much intrigued with the, uh, well, my company is called Expressive Photography. So that is my primary focus. It's what stimulates me. It stimulates my creativity is the concept of being expressive. And being expressive relies upon you looking inwardly quite a lot of the time to discover what it is, who you are and what it is you want to say. So um, I, I did a, a webinar with uh, the guys over from Nature Photography Network the other day, you know, David King and Jennifer Renwick, Sarah Marino, mm-hmm. Alex Noriega, and the five of us were talking about this. And my life is my creative stimulus. You know, it, it's every day it doesn't matter i can be sat at the breakfast table and see the light shining through the window and reflecting off a tile and and that sparks some kind of creative awareness in me so i i tend not to rely on having to be outside in the landscape to feel creative um but realistically i think the lockdown for me has been an opportunity to focus a huge amount of time onto building the online content 
which historically has been a problem because of running maybe 30 weeks of workshops a year. And, and that is very demanding physically and mentally. So uh, this has been good. Uh, you know, honestly, if it wasn't for the horror of the pandemic, the time that I've been given to do this and working with my partner and Christine, who does all the video editing, we've had no trouble in filling time at all. <laughs> Man, you're so lucky you have somebody to edit your videos. I love the creation side of it. I love like you were talking about the creative aspect and, and seeing things in a different way. But when it comes to sitting down and reviewing all of that and just picking through everything is a little mind numbing for me. I agree. And I think it requires a different mindset. Um, I am super spontaneous and can do things very... Uh, quickly and innately and kind of uh, deliver a certain level of, of uh, sort of creativity just without too much effort. Uh, whereas Anne uh, has that methodical attention to detail approach where she will agonize over a transition or an edit uh, for, for way longer than I would have the patience to do so. So yes, extremely grateful for all the work that she does. Well, Alistair, you talk a lot about um, expressing yourself and emotion and feeling within photography. I feel like a lot of people when they start out are so focused on the technical side of everything that they take a really long time connecting that feeling side to their photography. Have you always been able to really have that deep connection with it? That's a very good question. Um, as I said, starting as a bird photographer, there's a very strong technical aspect to that. You know, mm -hmm. um, exposing birds in rainforests using fill flash is technically very demanding. Um, you know, getting focus on something that's moving quite a lot can be very demanding. So um, I think I kind of got into the contemporary scene with quite a technical background. Uh, I do have a scientific background. I did astronomy uh, at university, so it was a sciencey type thing. Um, but equally, I'm I am extremely emotional and have no trouble uh, expressing a, a diverse range of of emotions within myself. So I think I probably started off as a technician and probably spent a lot of my time working on technique. Uh, so I was probably looked on as a technical photographer. Um, a lot of the images, because I mean, I, I came through the scene in the early 2000s, sort of right up to sort of 2010, 2011. And an awful lot of what we had to do was overcoming, overcoming the limitations of the medium. So digital photography, the sensors we had back in 2010 aren't nowhere near as good as they are today, the dynamic range. So an awful lot of what we had to do, blending exposures, uh, focus stacking, of course, um, you know, panoramas, it, it was technical. Um, and the problem was I got to a stage where it was all technique and it's very difficult to be creative when you're constantly thinking about how to do the next thing that comes into your head that you want to do to a photograph. Um, and I think really there was a bit of an epiphany for me probably in about 2017 or so, 16 maybe, where I got to the point where I was so sick of making photographs. I was so sick of that repetitive um, making images based on templates, you know, and I was making the same photograph over and over and over again. It's just the content was slightly different and 
in different places. So I went the other way and, and became a very intuitive photographer, a very spontaneous photographer. My processing these days is really quite quick. I'd rarely spend more than, I don't know, 10 minutes tops uh, processing a photograph. And many of them are even less than that, five minutes or so. Because I think I like being in a flow state when I'm working. And it's very difficult to be in a flow state for a prolonged period of time. So I like to work in very short, little focused um, uh, snapshots in time. You know, where it's like, that's who I am. That's the data I'm having a relationship with. And I'm going to do it very spontaneously and very kind of uh, in a very relaxed manner. Um, so, yeah, I've become way less technical, but I know that I haven't actually answered your question, um, which is... Technique is necessary. Uh, the techniques are the the vocabulary that we use to, to get things done. Um, but ultimately, it's it's why we're doing it is probably more important than the how. You mentioned the phrase flow state. I, the only other person that I've heard mention that while I've been doing this podcast is Michael Bellino. And we were talking about being in the mountains and, and entering that flow state, I almost relate it back to, and it's few and far between moments for me when I actually find myself in that rhythm and you just churn out image after image that you're mm -hmm. really happy with. Um, I relate it back to athletics of, you know, people talk about golfers, uh, baseball players talk about, um, entering this frame of mind where it's like tunnel vision and you just focus on what you're actually doing at hand. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's all sorts of different uh, disciplines that can get you into that kind of state. I was a rock climber as a youngster. Um, I still get out from time to time, but uh, you know, when you're that focused on uh, crimping a tiny hold and holding it in just the right way, especially when you're in the harder grades, if you're not holding it the right way, it will not work. So the the, the level of focus to, to zone in on that point of contact with the rock is so infinitesimally small that you, you have no choice but to engage to that level. And I think um, something that's becoming much more... Uh, normal is for people to appreciate that those moments of our life are probably the most valuable you know when you don't have time to worry about everything else that's going on in your life or the stresses and anxieties or pressures of living in a in a city or traffic or climate change or pollution or whatever it might be is that you're so focused in on the thing that's right in front of your face, be it a flower or a backlit cactus uh, or light bouncing off reflected water. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's absorbing your attention, then that is, I, I think that's the kind of pinnacle of living in many, in many ways. Are you able to flip a switch and turn that on? Uh, hmm. Um, no, no, I don't think. <laughs> um, and the reason I'm saying that is that I I don't want to feel as if it's something that is premeditated um, because the way I work in the field is that if you have an open mind to being uh, stimulated by something in the environment, then anything can stimulate your attention. It can be, 
if you go into the landscape looking for certain types of photographs, you will only find what you're looking for, or you won't find them and you'll be disappointed. Whereas if you go in just to be in nature, then anything, you're open to anything. It can be literally any way that light is um, <clears throat> engaged with any part of the landscape on a big scale or a small scale. Um, and I think being inquisitive and excited and fascinated by the world around you is probably the best attribute. That's the most valuable attribute when you're out in the landscape trying to be creative or looking for creativity. Uh, and of course, looking for anything is futile, you know. So I, I don't believe that pu pushing a button or pulling a trigger or, or kind of getting yourself in that kind of mindset, you know, I, I just think it should be spontaneous and, and you can't consciously be in a flow state. So um, I've said it many times that as soon as you realize you're in one, you're out of it. <laughs> yeah. So you don't realize it. you're in it at the time. It's, it's after the fact that you can look back and appreciate, wow, that was really, that was really a moment. Yeah, I, th I think so. I, I, I think um, when you come out of them, you kind of think, wow, you know, where did, where did the time go? You know, and it could be two hours that you could have just been in a forest or whatever, just, you know, engaged with, as I said, you know, whether it's the geometry or the light or the colors or, or the contrast and luminosity or atmosphere that are that are in that space. Um, and you're so engaged with it that, that conscious thought uh, doesn't really have a place. Now, I've, I've been kind of criticized in the past by kind of making the whole outdoor experience sort of putting this focus on the innate and, and rem removing our conscious thought from it. But that's just one aspect of how I engage with the field. Because, of course, you can go into the field with a very conscious uh, approach. But, you know, we have the luxury as professional photographers to spend an awful lot of time in the field. So I can go in totally innate and spontaneous, or I can go in with a very driven, focused idea of what it is I want to achieve because I have an agenda that day, you know. So again, we have a very broad spectrum because we've got so many more opportunities to be in the landscape. Is it courageous to shoot what you see and feel when you are in the landscape? Uh, courageous. Mm -hmm. In what way? In, I, th I just feel like a lot of people when they get started or can't seem to progress creatively, get stuck in recreating compositions or only photographing with a wide angle lens in a certain way. All right. Okay. When you shoot and feel, you see everything in a completely different way. Is it, is it bold? I guess I should ah, say right. to go okay. about it that way. Right. Sorry. I wasn't entirely sure uh, what, what direction you were going in mm -hmm. with that. Um, right. Um, it, I think it's, it's easier to go with the pack generally in life. Um, any kid that's been bullied in high school will tell you that it's easier to try and fit in than to be a, to, to, than to try and be an individual, especially if you're different. Uh, so I think that with, with creativity, of course, creativity is going to mirror every other aspect of life. Um, and if we fit in with everybody else, 
then it's kind of easier to be accepted to a certain extent because you're producing work that's recognizable and it's not too challenging and people understand it and things like that. So this is why we go to famous locations at certain times of the year to make photographs that people are going to go, wow, that's a beautiful photograph. Now, to go into um, the middle of a relatively ordinary place and try and make photographs, of things that you just find fascinating, they, they're not going to have that same global appeal. So you, the immediacy of the audience is going to be less. Uh, however, uh, I think it's probably more rewarding in, in an internal point of view, you know, so per, from a personal development point of view, I absolutely think uh, photographing the things that you feel engaged with and passionate about and have an emotional resonance with are yeah, you know, I think it is courageous to be an individual. So yeah, yeah, I, I like that question. Thank you. <laughs> what other word would you use to describe it? Uh, self-actualizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I think it's very easy to rely on external validation uh, when you're creative. You know, I, I, I was talking to Alex Noriega last night and both of us were kind of saying, you know, <laughs> to, to sort of, feel that you belong in this creative space you know you, sometimes you feel like a bit of a a kind of party crasher you know that uh, you know there's so many amazing photographers out there and it's easy to kind of diminish what we do ourselves um so yeah i i think it's external judgment and external validation are very dangerous things to rely on to develop your own creativity we have no problem at all turning on the radio and deciding if we like a piece of music or not. We don't need to ask 500 other people on social media, <laughs> you know, do I like this song? Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't have to do that. We just have an innate relationship with what we're hearing. And I think when we look at other people's photographs, we also have an innate feeling of, yes, I like that. It resonates with me. Or no, I appreciate that it's a good photograph, but it's not my thing. Uh, but when it comes to our own work, there's a barrier. Uh, and that barrier is partly due to insecurities um, and partly due to exposing maybe parts of our personality that we might feel uh, prompt some kind of ridicule or, you know, why are you photographing that type of thing? So, yeah, it, it's a very, very difficult juggling act. But I think self-actualization and taking judgment and expectation out of the equation are are very healthy for our personal development, which ultimately leads to creativity, I think. Is that connected to vulnerability too? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we're a, we're a social species. You know, we, we, we've grown up in societies. There's very few people who truly cut loose from uh, other people. Uh, and most of those are considered strange. Um, so, you know... I think some level of uh, external acceptance is is a very human thing. Uh, it's nice to feel appreciated. It's nice to feel loved, uh, whether it's by an individual or a, a community. Um, but yeah, I think we. I'm I'm very open about my um, my emotional spectrum, and I'm very open about the negatives as well as the positives. Um, so I've passed through that vulnerability stage, I think. So I'm confident enough in the work that I produce as it reflects who I am. 
Um, and I'm, I'm open to all of those facets, whether it's melancholy or joy. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick to talk about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's visualwilderness.com. If you go to visualwilderness.com, you're going to be amazed at all of the content that's available for you to improve your outdoor photography. You know, you're going to find things like articles, courses, post-processing tutorials, all these things go together to help you improve your photographs. I'm a contributor to that site, and right now you can get all of my courses on how you can improve your post-processing for outdoor photography, things like realistic HDR, things like creative blending in outdoor photography to help you level up your game. Not only take your photos and edit them in post-processing, but have those ideas in the field so that you can be confident when you start to post-process. You can get my courses on sale right now for a limited time for 33% off if you use the code DAVID33 during checkout. But right now, let's get back to the episode. I feel like a lot of people are left brain or right brain or they allow themselves to kind of get put into a box almost, do you know what I mean? Where right. you have this certain personality that basically depicts the activities that you're good at in life. I mean, with photography, it's almost paradoxical of doing the creative side and then coming back and dealing with all the business side. Do you struggle with going back and forth between those two worlds? I'm a really good delegator. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> um, I am very fortunate to have Anne Christine who takes care of an awful lot of that type of the business for me, um, you know, accounts and numbers and I'm capable of doing it, but I don't enjoy it. So we've decided that it's easier for me to focus on the creative side of things. Um, and she takes care of, like I said, the video editing and the, and the numbers and flights and hotel bookings and all of that type of stuff generally. Um, now, there, there's two different questions there because one of them was like looking towards the business side of things and the other is mm. looking at photography as as either a technical or, a, or an emotional discipline. Mm -hmm. um, and whether the personality that you have is dictating how you create. Now, I noticed that you've, you've got other podcast episodes that cover some of this stuff, um, which is fascinating for me. I'm really into the relationship between personalities and creativity and learning um, because we see that a lot in workshops. You have people who are super analytical, who struggle to feel that they are creative. Uh, and equally, you have very creative people who struggle with some of the technical aspects of photography. Um, now, the whole left brain, right brain thing, I think, has been debunked um, that, that I think there's a free flow of information between the two hemispheres. It, it, I don't think that thing's really contemporary anymore. Mm. Um, but I totally get the whole personality type thing. I mean, the, the, the Enograms and, and the Myers-Briggs and stuff, I think they give really good insights into the type of thing that you will trend towards. Now, my job, I guess, is to try and figure out ways for everybody to be creative and to get in touch with their creativity. Um, and I'll probably end up doing a book or something about this uh, in a couple of years because I'm still kind of conducting research on it. 
What's your personality type then? Um, <laughs> I'm a learned extrovert. Uh, so mm. I'm, I'm quite introverted, but I can be, I can give the impression of being extroverted. Um, and I am generally more expressive uh, than technical, but I can be technical if, if required. Um, so yeah, it, it's, and Anne is the complete opposite. You know, she, she's, uh, she's way more uh, detail oriented uh, and a total introvert. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the whole personality thing is I'm, I'm very keen. I'd love to just get like all of the guys and ladies who we, we do our, uh, our shows with and just like get everyone tested and look at their photographs and interview them and find out you know, what their creative preferences are and see if there's some kind of correlation between the two. That would be a really interesting bit of research. If anyone's a psychologist, that would be a great way to move forward. That would, I would read that in a heartbeat. I mean, I don't know about you, but I almost feel like I find the personality tests very helpful and I learn a lot about people and relationships from it. But at the same time, I don't like being assigned something. Right. Now, something I've written a lot about um, <clears throat> in magazines and, and, and on my own uh, work is we live on a spectrum. You know, I, I think I, I agree with you that getting pigeonholed uh, either as a person or as a gender or a color or uh, a faith or religion or anything like that, I think getting the, the more pigeonholed you are limits you in some way. Uh, so personally, I, I want to live on this bigger spectrum. So if I want to be melancholy and slightly um, less energetic when I go into the landscape, I want to be able to go into the landscape as that person and still find creativity. I don't want to have to be bouncy, kind of tigger like Alistair Ben. I don't want to have to be bouncing around, you know, on my tail kind of thing, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, because. I don't think that creativity necessarily has to come from one part of your personality because I think we live on a spectrum. I know for a fact that there are times when I get out of bed and it's just like, no, not today, you know, just leave me alone. And other mm-hmm. days I'm super energetic and full of full of energy and uh, super motivated and really optimistic. So it would be a shame if we couldn't walk into the landscape given that spectrum and deliver something that was meaningful to us. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm, I agree that it can, personality tests, et cetera, can give us a, a snapshot of the, the, cause I don't think they do particularly just zone in on one particular type. I think there's quite a lot of overlap between them. Um, and it's who you are under stress can often be very different from who you are when you're in a position of power or authority. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I like the Enneagram more than Myers-Briggs or some of the others, just because it allows you in different social situations to jump to other categories uh, within the nine-digit spectrum that it covers. Ah, I'm I'm talking to someone that knows his stuff. Good. Yeah, that's it's something I only did. I only did the Enneagram last year for the first time. It was about October, I think. I had a client over from the States who who was big into it. Um, and I've also got another friend in Norway who's really big into it. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. And, um, 
again, I've, I've kind of pulled away from the science of it to a certain extent to try and get in touch with my own relationship with the landscape and, and recognizing these facets of myself and trying to so that's what I tend to use photography for is to try and dig into who I am and and who I was when I was there and equally who I am in front of the computer when some when an image is speaking to me it's just a thing right okay well why is that what what part of me is that speaking to yeah and in terms of relationship with the landscape I mean I know we've talked about differences and and what you're feeling and what you're shooting but is there a consistent workflow that you go through either physically or or in your mind of what you're seeing before you decide to take an image oh um i i remember years and years ago having a conversation with sean bagshaw i mean this is like 2011 or something and uh, Sean introduced me to the concept of utility. He was already quite a successful landscape photographer at that point, And I was just kind of breaking in with my first book. Um, and he talked about the utility of it. And I think when you're a professional landscape photographer, you go into the landscape sometimes with an agenda. So if I'm writing an article about X, Y, Z, and I want to go and get images that reflect that in a contemporary sense, then obviously you go into the landscape looking for a particular thing that you can record and then use to, to illustrate your article. Um, if I'm just out in the landscape with my camera bag on my back, uh, I will have a completely open mind, no agenda, no judgment, no expectation. doesn't matter what the weather is. It can be pouring with rain or snowing or blue skies or perfect sunset conditions. It doesn't make a blind bit of difference to me what the weather's doing. It's about uh, noticing what it is that I notice. Yeah. So it, and as I said earlier, it doesn't matter what that is. So there isn't a, I think the only thing that I do repetitively is go into the landscape with no expectation um, and non-judgment. You know, it sounds very hippy trippy, zen kind of mindfulness type of thing. And I did meditate for for and did did and do meditate for a number of years. Um, and I think that approach of being in the landscape is super forgiving. You know, because anything can happen. Uh, you're not looking at things as good, bad, better, worse. Uh, it's just a case of, yeah, that's fascinating. And it can be big scale, small scale, small scene. It can be atmospheric. It can be colorful. It can be talking about monochromatic uh, landscapes. doesn't matter what it is. Um, and I think I'm quite good at recognizing what it is in the landscape that's resonating with me and the, and the subsequent parallels between my emotional state so some days i'm into much more atmospheric scenes uh, other days i'm into much more angular graphical scenes other days it might be more colorful scenes uh, contrasty high contrast low contrast um, moody dark melancholy versus uh, jubilant energetic scenes so I think I, I do look at my time in the landscape as an emotional thing, uh, and I'm always open to to whatever it is the landscape is seeing, whether it's a quiet voice or a loud voice. Well, something I read on your website in your About Me page says that when you are in the landscape photographing, you try to fail and you try to play 
and, and be joyful while you're doing it that can you dive deeper in, into what that means especially try to fail like that's very counterintuitive when you first read it I, I can't remember when I wrote that or indeed what it, what it even means. <laughs> uh, um, it sounded I, good, though. <laughs> Maybe that's why I wrote it. <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd have to think about that. I don't know what that means. Try to fail. Um, I, I think failure, uh, if you... We get very goal oriented in life. You know, I, I was in international finance for 20 years and it's all about goals. Um, and I don't want goals, you know, really. I, I'm, I'm quite happy to try something. I mean, I, I had a conversation with someone not so long ago and I said, we're in a zero risk environment. You know, it's not if you're a surgeon, you don't have that freedom to fail you know, with, with the same degree that we can with our cameras in our hand. Uh, so I, I guess trying something and it not working is a perfectly acceptable thing. You know, I think a certain degree of analysis is necessary to understand why something didn't work or why you don't feel it works. But that's a very, very personal thing. I, I remember having a conversation last year on another, another podcast. Um, and I was getting asked an awful lot of questions about the scene in general. And I said, these aren't things we should be asking about other people. There are things we should be asking of ourselves. You know, it, it's what are my motives? What are my reasons for being in the landscape? Am I harvesting data just to stroke my ego? Or am I actually trying to develop as a human being to become a better person? Uh, am I adding value to art? Am I adding value to the pursuit of creativity? I mean, all of these things are important to me. Um, so I think trying to fail, you know, it's the old analogy that if you're an inventor, uh, no one remembers you for the 200 failures. It's the one success at the end that you become famous for. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm open to fail. I mean, but I don't take what I do very seriously. I mean, I'm totally happy to go into the landscape and play. And if something doesn't work, that's great. I'm still having a laugh, you know, so I do try to be joyful. Yeah. How old are you now? I'm 53, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you think like the older generation of photographers and, and please don't feel like I'm bashing you for being old or anything <laughs> but i i see and i hear people like you and adam gibbs and, and some of the others talk about creativity and and what they see in the landscape and i almost think that the older generation of landscape photographers is a lot more patient in the field uh i'm not patient at all in the field really? to be honest nope 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 i i've i've got very 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 short attention span um, I'm, I'm totally not patient in the landscape. Um, I can go out in the landscape for hours, but I couldn't focus on one thing for more than 10 minutes. Um, I mean, I, again, I was speaking to, uh, Alex the other day, um, and even Adam Gibbs. I mean, these guys will go out and they'll find something and they'll sit on it for a couple of hours or even five or six hours. A really good friend of mine, uh, the great Rafael Rojas, he'd, he'd sit on something for eight hours. He'd find it in the morning and wait till sunset, you know, so, and he wouldn't move. Uh, so I think 
I think large format film photographers and people with a background in film, medium format photographers in particular, uh, are way more patient and are they, they attribute more value to each frame that they take, perhaps. Uh, whereas I'm a digital photographer, I predominantly came through as a, in the digital age, and therefore there's no cost to to taking a photograph or clicking mm. the shutter. Um, now, I do think that my generation of photographers, because I think my peer group is, you know, we've been around a while and I'm very, very fortunate to be part of that group of photographers because I think we've we've, we've pushed photography very hard uh, during the early 2000s, well, late 2000s through into the early 2010s. Um, and I think the younger generation are benefiting from a lot of the groundwork that we did a decade ago, perhaps. Uh, but equally, social media wasn't so much of a thing when we were out doing it then. You know, we had forums and, you know, we'd, we'd share images online, but it was for the benefit of critique, you know, or at, at places like uh, Nature Photographers Network, uh, which is thankfully back in existence now in a big way, thanks to David and Jennifer. Um, but I think social media is making photography a little bit more disposable, um, and therefore, there's a pressure to go out in the field, get something great, get it online, get some likes, get some popularity, get some uh, get some dopamine. <laughs> um, whereas I think most of my generation now, I mean, people like Guy Tal, um, who I was talking to again last a couple of weeks ago, it's about being in the landscape. It's about our relationship with the landscape. It's about valuing the landscape. And I'm not saying the younger generation don't do that, but I think as you get older, you appreciate the value of your life, maybe. I mean, when I was 20, 22, 23 years old, climbing extreme rock, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to get to 25. So you, you live hold to hold almost on the rock face, you know, whereas now, you know, you're hanging on for, the, <laughs> for every moment, you know, it's a very different thing. I would be remiss if I didn't talk about your podcast and your show that you have bringing other photographers on too. What what have you learned through that whole process? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, I did a podcast very briefly back in 2011 and, and spoke to Guy Tal and Sean Bagshaw back then because we've been friends for a long, long time. Um, this thing started uh, just very frivolously between Adam Gibbs and myself. Again, we've known each other for years and years and we're great friends. And we just used to talk regularly. You know, we'd get on WhatsApp or something and just yak for a couple of hours. And I think when we got into lockdown, we thought, I just thought, well, as we're building online content, maybe other people might be interested in these conversations. So for me, the vision and light, uh, it started off as YouTube. And the only reason it's now on a podcast is because people were basically saying it would be nice if we had it on a podcast. So now I put the production into the YouTube and then just basically export the audio out into Podbean and uh, iTunes. Um, but it's still very much focused on me chatting with my mates. So I'm super lucky that, you know, Guy Tell, Sean Bagshaw, Mark Adamus, Paul Ziska, Marcel Van Oosten. Uh, it's a great list of people who are just really good friends of mine. So it's there's an informality to it. There's you know there's a chat aspect to it, but it's equally from my there's a selfishness in it for me because I get to talk to these people and get into their heads, mm. and it's almost like getting them on a psychiatrist's couch for for an hour. 
I mean, Guy Tal, I think it was one of the first video things he'd done on, on YouTube. Mark Adamus, it was probably one of the first free video casts that he'd ever done. Uh, so there was a certain um, rarity factor to some of those things. But yeah, I mean, what I'm learning is, is that there are certain attributes that all of these people have that drives their creativity. Uh, and it's a very, very common theme, which is an absolute passion for the landscape. Um, and that if we were in the landscape and could never make a photograph, that we would still be happy. Um, and second is having an incredible sense of interest, fascination, uh, inquisitiveness about the way light interacts with the landscape. And those two things seem to be the core of everyone that we're speaking to. Are those the photographers that you draw a lot of inspiration from too? Inspiration is a funny word for me. Um, I, I don't get inspired particularly by their photography. Um, and that, that sounds awful. Uh, I love all of their work. But I don't get my own creative inspiration from outside of myself anymore. I went through a long period of following a lot of photographers and really looking at a lot of photos. And I still buy a lot of photo books because that's an appreciation of their work. Um, but in terms of my own inspiration, it, it, it tends to come from within. Um, and I think it's important to have my own voice. And I, I, so I think it's easy... It's easy when you look at maybe, say, Theo Bosboom's work as a great, great Dutch landscape photographer. It's really easy to look at Theo's work and think, right, next time I'm out at the beach, I'm going to try that. Um, and that's not the same as how I would go about finding my own creativity, which is going to the beach and being intrigued and interested by something innately. I think that's where creativity come, and inspiration comes from. I'm inspired by breathing and getting to walk out in the landscape. Um, rather than other people's uh, creative output. I can appreciate it, but it's not necessarily what I would call inspiration. Well, he's Alistair Ben. Alistair, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking to us about photography. And honestly, man, positivity. I feel like I'm ready to uh, get out and, and dominate this day. <laughs> well, that, that's really lovely to hear. And, and thanks very much. It's, it's been a real pleasure to come on. And I, I appreciate that I can come across as kind of being a bit serious sometimes, but you're asking questions that are very close to my heart. And um, I believe that photography has many benefits to it that go beyond making images. Uh, there's a process of being alive and out in the landscape that can be very positive in its own right.